Hey, people. It is such a privilege to be with you. I have to tell you, you're sort of a rock star church to me. I just live across the river in Augusta, Georgia, and I've always heard about Mount Horeb, never thought I'd get to come here, and now I get to be here with you. So thank you. Thank you for letting me be among you today. Thank you for being here, and thank you for being uh, so engaged in worship this morning. That was just beautiful to watch you all just sort of lift your hands in worship to a holy God. I just want to say thank you for that. I also want to say just how proud I am of this church in general and your life together and your witness. You have done hard work, and I want you to know God sees you. I hope you can sense that. I, I am praying for you and me both that, as we are, that we are heading into a season of joy as we work together to welcome and advance the kingdom of God. That is what the church of Jesus Christ is about. Amen? And it could also easily be the summary statement over the whole book of Acts. Acts is a story of how the first followers of Jesus learned to welcome and advance the kingdom of God. You've been steeping in the book of Acts, and I just want to take you a little bit further into an area that I, I don't know, I guess it's an area that I get to talk about a little bit more than, than the average person. So to get there, though, we need to step back and look at the big picture of God's story so we can see how the smaller stories fit into it. So think of it like looking out the window of an airplane and seeing the whole city beneath you. Can you, can you picture that? Well, that's what we're after. We want a view of the whole story of God. So we can read the big story of the Bible in a lot of different ways. One way is to see it as three movements, each of which reveals a person of the Trinity, each movement a revelation about God. Beginning in Genesis, we're introduced to the Father. And through the stories of creation and the exodus from Egypt and through all those stories of kings and conquests and then through the prophets and through all the names of God given in the Old Testament, we learn the character of a good and loving Father who desires a relationship with humanity. He is Jehovah Rapha, our healer, and Jehovah Sabaoth, who fights for us. Jehovah Jireh, our provider. Emmanuel, the God who is with us. That's who we meet in the Old Testament. And then, in the New Testament gospel accounts of the life of Jesus, we meet this Emmanuel, God the Son, coming into the world to reconcile himself, uh, to, to, to reconcile the world to himself. Jesus is not only a walking visual aid for everything we learned about God in the Old Testament, he also brings into focus the radical message that the kingdom of God, a kingdom which had been fought over and rebelled against and tugged at is alive and well and advancing. And that unshakable kingdom demands our personal response. You should probably write that down. <laughs> the unshakable kingdom of God demands my personal response. You know that thing they say in every infomercial um, after they've already told you all the amazing, death-defying things that their handheld vacuum cleaner will do for you, after they show you all the ways your $29.99 investment is a steal, they say, but wait, there's more. And then they tell you, they'll toss in a whole other vacuum cleaner. I do not understand the economics of that. And, and plus five flint rollers if you buy 
now. Well, that's sort of the book of Acts. After the Old Testament revelation of the character of our Heavenly Father, you must be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. And after the revelation through Jesus of the Father's intention to build his kingdom among us and in us, then there is this, but wait, there's more flavor to the story. And it begins in Luke when Jesus tells his disciples they will be filled with a supernatural power, but they need to wait and where they are until they get it. Let me emphasize that. Jesus did not want his followers going out until they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. That's worth remembering. And that's where Luke ends and the book of Acts picks up. Acts drops us into the age of the Holy Spirit with this fantastic story of Jesus ascending into heaven. It was with the ascension that God created a portal for his power. He brokered a spiritual transaction. Jesus ascended, guaranteeing that our bodies would have a place in the new creation, and the Holy Spirit descended, guaranteeing our spiritual and productive participation in the welcome and advance of God's kingdom on earth. And when the Holy Spirit descended, I mean, can you even imagine? Whoa, wind rushing, rushing through a room, fire settling on heads, passion for this gospel pouring out in every language over all people. It is a breathtaking story. This is the Pentecost they had been rehearsing since the days of Leviticus. Yeah, the Feast of Pentecost, which is right in the middle of the story of God's Old Testament people, was a harvest feast that teaches me it has always been God's intention to harvest souls. Always been his plan to have his people participate in the harvest by telling the story and participating in the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit, which reveals the character and the values of God, his healing power, his fighting against the darkness power, his love for people. And Peter, standing in the midst of, of this wind and fire display, overwhelmed by the sheer goodness of it, finds himself with this confidence he, he had not known before. When the outpouring of the Holy Spirit sent those first followers of Jesus sending out, I mean, out into the streets to, to tell the good news about Jesus and the resurrection of the dead, Peter immediately recognized it as a fulfillment of Joel's prophecy. Listen to this. This is Acts chapter 2, verse 17. In the last days, God says through Joel, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. So Peter saw it. That in this third movement of God's story, everyone will be empowered to channel the story and the spirit, sons and daughters, men and women, old and young, even servants, they will all prophesy, says the Lord, and display signs and wonders. So Peter's call is a clear 
call not just to decide what we think about the kingdom of God breaking into our world through the person of Jesus Christ. It is also a call to be sent out with that story on our lips to share with a lost and hurting world that Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is near. Come on, y'all. Jesus is Lord and his kingdom is near. Whew. Peter mentions sons and daughters, men and women, twice, because the prophet Joel does, which means that Peter's not preaching a new word, but making sense of an ancient one. Gospel telling belongs to both men and women, which means that every time a woman steps into the vision of Joel, she steps into that abundant stream that flows through our fathers and the faith, that, that flows through Jesus himself, through this generation and on into the next as it heads toward the realization of God's kingdom on earth. Are you beginning to catch a pattern here? It is all about the kingdom of God. It is all about the kingdom of God. Isn't that beautiful? Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Holy Spirit. Now take all of that, what we've just shared, and bring it into Acts, chapter 9 and the story of Tabitha. In my church, every week we say that the best way to engage the message is with your Bible and something to write with. And so if you've got your Bible, I want you to turn to Acts chapter 9. By the time we get here, what started in Acts chapter 1 has expanded dramatically so that now women and men both are working the gospel message into the fabric of the whole Mediterranean world where they live. Peter is now moving among the people with this incredible authority that he found in Christ. This is not the guy who once denied Jesus. This is not the guy who went back to fishing after the crucifixion. No, this is a man of God filled with the Holy Spirit and with power. And somehow, as he's gospeling his way from town to town, Somebody in Joppa hears that Peter is just a town or two away, and so they call for him. Evidently, there's a woman in Joppa named Tabitha, and she's died. So look with me at her story in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. In Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha. I want you to circle the word disciple. It's important. In Joppa, there's a disciple named Tabitha. In Greek, her name was Dorcas. She's always doing good and helping the poor. I want you to notice that Tabitha is called a disciple of Jesus. The Greek word for disciple here is unique to this one reference. Nowhere else is someone called the feminine form of that word. So evidently, Tabitha is pretty special by follower of Jesus standards. We should also notice that the, that the writer refers to her by both her Jewish name and her Greek name. That's significance. It means that the good news about Jesus is now more than just a quirky offshoot of the Jewish faith. Now it has its fingers in Greek culture. Disciples of Jesus are no longer just Jews with a Messiah. They are world citizens with a Savior. So this woman who is a Jewish disciple with a Greek name, in her, God is doing a new thing. The, the news, the good news about Jesus is spreading. And in Tabitha, we see a new evangelistic strategy. I want you to keep reading. We're in verse 37 of Acts chapter 9. 
About that time, she became, that's Tabitha, became sick and died. And her body was washed and placed in an upstairs room. Lydda was near Joppa. So when the disciples heard that Peter was in Lydda, they sent two men to him and urged him, please come at once, which is odd because she's already dead. Peter went with them, and when he arrived, he was taken upstairs to the room. All the widows stood around him crying and showing him the robes and other clothing that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Evidently, Tabitha has been doing practical things to connect with people beyond her circle. It's her sewing that opens doors up and, and makes friends. So in Tabitha, we see maybe for the first time in the Bible that a person can use something they enjoy doing to, uh, for the sake of sharing faith in Jesus Christ. So this raising of Tabitha ends up being more than a miracle. It's an evangelism story. Look at verse 40. Peter sent them all out of the room, and then he got down on his knees and prayed. I bet he did. <laughs> Turning toward the dead woman, he said, Tabitha, get up. That took guts. She opened her eyes, and seeing Peter, she sat up, and that will make your guts turn upside down. He took her by the hand and he helped her to her feet. And then he called for the believers, especially the widows, the ones who had been crying over her death. And he presented her to them alive. And this became all, known all over Joppa and many people believed in the Lord. Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. I want you to remember, it's because Tabitha had been following, uh, how to, I want you to remember that Tabitha had a following because of her compassion and sewing ministry. That's why those people were there to witness her miracle. And what a miracle. Do you remember what Peter said to Tabitha when she was laying there lifeless? He said, Tabitha, get up. The Greek word is enistimi. It literally means rise up. Atlanta Falcons fans in the room, you will be pleased to know. You are represented in the Bible. <laughs> Anastimi is the same word Paul will use later to describe the resurrection of Jesus. The Bible says this is the word God used when he called Jesus out of the tomb. And it is especially common, anastemi. When the Bible talks about the preparation for a journey, which is to say, listen to me, that personal revival, your revival in mind. Getting up and starting your journey again can mean anything from getting yourself up out of your chair to going after your own healing to having your faith or even your life resurrected. All of it is resurrection. And Tabitha's story teaches us that the call is to rise up, not just for our own sake, but for the sake of seeing souls into the kingdom of God. The unshakable kingdom of God demands my personal response. So Tabitha gets raised up and her story gets told all over town and many believe the Lord. And that ends up being the real power of resurrection faith. 
When God's people get serious about their faith and begin acting on it, not only do we get raised up, but other people get raised up. People get saved. People get healed. People get called out by God to do great things. People finally figure out how to get Jesus into their hearts. Oh, this call to rise up is a call not just for you, but for all the people in your circle, for all the people in your circle who are just waiting to get healed, to get saved, to get delivered. Okay, so let's shift gears a little bit. Are you ready? We're going to jump into Acts chapter 16. You know, we tend to blame Paul for too much of our angst around the conversation about women in ministry leadership. But that's just not a fair blame. You don't even have to look very close to see how he ministered to and with women. If you look at Acts chapter 16, this is where Paul stands at the edge of Asia Minor. He's on the banks of the Aegean Sea. At that time, that was the farthest frontier of the evangelized world. He and his companions are in a little beach town called Troas when God gives them a vision for what's on the other side of the Aegean Sea. And, and, and right there, God encourages Paul to push open the gate of the global west. This would have been going into Europe. So the rest of the world can be introduced to a global Messiah. And so they cross the sea over into Europe and they begin to travel through a town that's right there on the edge, Macedonia, stopping in Philippi. Now I want you to listen to what happens next. This is Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down, and we began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message, and when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded us. So here's Paul and his team. They've traveled around to share the good news about Jesus, and when they did, they, they always started when they got to a new town with the Jews. They would begin in the temple. But when that got no traction, then they'd go looking down by the river. They could usually find a smaller group there, praying people, usually women who were not welcome in the inner, gates, uh, the inner parts of the temple, who seemed more open to what God might be doing in the world. So when Paul and his companions got to Philippi, that's where they went. And sure enough, down at the river, they found a group of women who were gathered for prayer and worship. And as they sat down with them and shared the message of Jesus Christ, this one woman, Lydia, a businesswoman, a worshiper of God, not just a believer, but a worshiper. When she heard Paul tell her about Jesus, the Lord opened her heart because the unshakable kingdom of God demands a personal response. So the Lord opened her heart and she got baptized, evidently right then and there. And then after that, she invited everybody back to her house so she could care for their needs. 
And, and that is how the church in Philippi got started. It started out of a women's small group, which immediately became a house church. And unlike some of the other churches, like the church in Corinth or the church in Galatia, that group in Philippi seems to have developed maturely. So when Paul wrote to them, he, 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 was, he wrote in praise. His letter was full of joy and encouragement. He, he was impressed with their care and compassion. They were generous. They, they cared about filling needs. And they did it all in a way that expressed not just responsibility, but joy. This is how Paul started his letter to the believers in Philippi. He said, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership. I want you to circle that word in your Bible. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, from that first day I met Lydia until now. Paul uses that phrase, partnership in the gospel, and that is a powerful phrase. The Greek word used in this passage for partnership is a business term that people in the first century used to talk about sharing a mutual interest, working at it together. So the word means everything that the word fellowship means in Christianese. <laughs> Worship, prayer, support, friendship, but it also has this business edge to it. Paul is telling the Philippians, we're in this gospel business together. And in this gospel business, we share worship and prayer and friendship and support. We are partners in holistic and wholesome ways, in gospel-generating ways. Listen, this kind of partnership, this partnership in the gospel is gospel-generating and Paul is saying this to the Philippians, whose church was first populated in Lydia's home. Don't miss that point. And don't let anyone tell you that Paul did not acknowledge or support the place of women in gospel leadership. I would say that actually he widened the gate for women to hear and lead in advancing the gospel. Scattered all throughout Paul's letters were, were all kinds of partners in the gospel who happened to be women. Chloe, Euodia and Syntyche, Nympha, Lois and Eunice, Claudia, Aphia, the women in Corinth who were encouraged to prophesy. Phoebe was a deacon in the church and Junia, outstanding among the gospels. That's how she, excuse me, outstanding among the apostles. That's how she's mentioned in the story. Junia, outstanding among the apostles, was imprisoned for the faith. We don't have time to talk about the four daughters of Philip who were known as, we find them in Acts and they were known as prophets. We don't have time to talk about Priscilla and Aquila, a ministry couple who followed Jesus and were co-workers in the gospel with Paul. Their names were always mentioned in that order, Priscilla first, then Aquila. They met him in Corinth and met Paul in Corinth and, and they traveled with him to Ephesus and Priscilla not only led in the advance of the gospel alongside her husband, but taught others to do so with integrity. Mary Tryphena, Tryphosa, Persia. Paul says they all worked hard for the Lord. 
So how can we see him as anything other than an advocate and a partner in the gospel with anyone, male or female, who was called and gifted to lead? Oh, my dear friends, I mean, you'd think because I am a female pastor that I'm standing up here because I've got an ax to grind. I need you to know I'm not an angry woman. Somebody needs to say thank God for that. One less angry woman in the world. I'm not even hyper-focused on female-led ministry. But I am an activist for the kingdom of God. And I believe that until we unleash the whole people of God for the whole work of the gospel, the kingdom will not come. Not because God can't, but because you, my friends, are God's plan A. Come on. You, men and women in this room, students in this room, you are God's plan A. He has no other plan, you're it. So what a joy it is to have these stories to assure us of God's intent for all his people. And what a glory to see how God is using women, particularly in our day, to lead in powerful movements around the world, mostly because they're not what anybody is expecting. So they can fly beneath the radar. The evangelistic explosion being documented in Iran even now, is due to the leadership of women. If you haven't seen the documentary called Sheep Among Wolves, you need to watch it and be encouraged. Missionaries in India tell of the critical role of women in introducing the gospel to new people groups because they can fly beneath the radar. Muslim women tell of encountering visions of Jesus as he comes to them directly to invite them into faith and then lead their families into faith. Dreams and visions, just like Joel said. I have to tell you, I was in India, maybe this was one of, I've been there four times. This was one of my more recent trips and I was with a ministry, as a, a business as ministry group. They actually sew, just like Tabitha. They do sewing as a way of winning people in their part of the country to Christ. And I was with these women one day, we were doing Bible study before they started their shift as seamstresses and, and one of the women told me, she was, she's Hindu. She told me that she had, um, that she had, she had she was she's married to an alcoholic husband. They were dirt poor. They had no idea how they were going to make it all work together. She was miserable, and she was going out to kill herself when a man, a vision of a man, showed up in front of her and gave her an address to go to. She didn't know what this address was, but she walked from one side of the city to the other side of the city, found this address, it led her up a long set of stairs, and when she got to the top, there she was standing in this room with these seamstress women and a couple who were missionaries. And she said to them, I have no idea why I'm here. I'm desperate. And a man told me to come and find you. 
And those missionaries shared with her the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the more she heard, the more she realized that man, that was Jesus. That was Jesus. He cut out the middleman. He didn't even wait for the missionary to show up. He told her directly, you go find the people who will tell you the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, y'all. And I'm telling you right now, every week, people are walking into Mount Horeb Church with nothing more than a nudge or a hunch, and you are God's plan A for giving them hope. The real question is not, should women lead in the work of sharing Christ? No, the real question is how many people does God want to bring into the kingdom and how many people is he willing to use to reach them? That's the real question. That's the kingdom question. This work we're about, this kingdom work is for all of us, says the prophet Joel. Sons and daughters, men and women, servants and rich people, young and old. It is the beautiful work of telling people about the good, good father who is revealed to us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And gospeling is how we become the answer to Jesus' own prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth, just like it is in heaven. So the unshakable kingdom demands my response to that prayer. My dear friends, it is our great privilege to share in the character of a good and loving God with those who are hungry to know. The unshakable kingdom of God demands our response. He is our healer, Jesus. He is our provider, the God of angel armies, God with us, and he is glorious. He is majestic, he is powerful. He has authority in this world and in the world to come. He is our master and our redeemer. He who is, who was, and who is to come is truth eternal. And he has invited you and me into his unshakable kingdom where we will discover life in all its fullness. Who wouldn't want to share that good news? And who wouldn't want to hear it? I invite you to stand. The unshakable kingdom of God demands your personal response. So how will you respond? I mean, statistically, just looking out over this room right now, it's, it's pretty much impossible that there's not someone in this room who is wrestling with some kind of call on your life. Maybe it's a vocational call to ministry that you're wrestling with. I mean, you've had that nudge. You've seen him yourself. You've had the vision of Jesus. And, and, you've, and you've begun to question, am, am, am I really called? I mean, is it possible that I, I might be called to welcome and advance the kingdom of God? 
somebody in this room right now who senses a, a stretch, you've got something that you can offer the world. You are a great cook or a great mechanic or a great seamstress like Lydia or like uh, Tabitha. You're a good businessman like Lydia, businesswoman. Maybe you are a great bowler or a great skater. You know the bowling alleys and skating rinks are full of people waiting to hear the message of Jesus Christ? Maybe you own a small business and you just never really thought of yourself as a missionary to all those customers who walk through your door. Man, we bless these, this team that's going to Samoa, but I'm telling you, while they're there, you can be here honoring their work by sharing the good news about Jesus Christ right where you are. It's not an either or, it's a both and, amen? So what's God calling you to do? The unshakable kingdom of God demands your response. The unshakable kingdom of God demands your response. I don't know what the culture of this church is, but I can tell you that anytime that I'm given an altar opportunity, I'm gonna take it. Because when I get on my knees, the spirit of God always meets me. If you're sensing some nudge, some pull, some call, even just a question, I want to encourage you to come and kneel. If you'd like someone to pray with you, I'd be so pleased to pray with you. I'll be here on this side. I'd be so pleased to pray together with you if you're experiencing that nudge, that pull, that call. I'm going to pray with you, and then we're going to continue worship through a song, words of which sum up everything we've just said. If you'll bow your head and close your eyes. Lord Jesus, it is a grace, Jesus, a grace to think that in this world, we are like Jesus. In this world, we're your plan A. Like, <laughs> it seems like you would have picked something smarter. That you in your love and in your mercy and in your higher understanding, you have chosen us, us in this room, to win Lexington to Jesus, to win Columbia to Jesus, to win South Carolina to Jesus, to win our nation to Jesus, to win this world to Jesus, to see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven so that Jesus can be high and lifted up. So Lord Jesus, my prayer is that you would pour out over this group, pour out over every person here, pour out your Holy Spirit and give us a grace to see what you see in us. Give us ears to hear you, Lord, and eyes to see you, the heart to receive everything you have for us.